0: The cops and all that kind of stuff. Um, so my son, he's a, he's a police officer with HBD and uh came over to the house yesterday morning. He's on night shift and came over not to see us. He came over to see the doggies. <laughs> Dave and Tritt, there's your daughter right there. Hey, kiddo, how are you? You don't have to sit with those people. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, he, he got off, he, and he called to see if he can come over and see the dogs, and so, uh, he's playing with the dogs and stuff, and then I, I don't rush in right away, Dave, because I know how you people are, but I did say, so what's new? How'd your night go? You know, just something like that. And he said, oh, I, I, I have a funny story. He arrested this lady for, uh, drug stuff, who knows what. And she was out of control, because she was under the influence at the time, apparently. There's, oh, there's Delvin right there. It's, and, uh, so anyway, he, Put her in the, hit, cuffed her and put her in the back of his car and she's screaming like crazy and he's got a long ride to take her to wherever the next stop is. I don't know what y'all do. I don't think the library, I think. Anyway, uh, she, and so he says, lady, why are you screaming? You need to settle down. You need to be quiet. And she says, I am hungry. I'm starving. And he remembers, he was going through her purse to see w- what was in it and he, he, he remembers saying, a corn dog. And, <laughs> and all kinds of stories, apparently. So there was a corn dog in there and so he, so he stops his patrol car and he gets out and uh, he goes to the back and he says, lady, I'm going to make a deal with you. If you promise to settle down and keep quiet, I'll feed you this corn dog. So there she is with cuffs and stuff and he's holding the corn dog <laughs> and, and she, <laughs> she fighting his deal. But she kept, lived up to her end of the bargain, was quiet the rest of the time. So anyway. Your public servants are at work. <laughs> you get arrested by the Houston Police Department, you, they feed you corn dogs in the back of the... That's pretty good deal. Then he says, uh, you know, I asked him about this case. Some lady got arrested, and she's suing the police department because I guess the police officer was playing Rush Limbaugh on the radio or something like that. Did you hear about this? And she felt like she was exposed to a political point of view. She shouldn't have been. Anyway... Something like this. So I asked myself, well, how do y'all do that? Do you play your radio? He said, well, here's what I do. If I get just a wild maniac from the streets, he said, uh, I play classical music and it drives him crazy. <laughs> he said, I just play Beethoven and stuff like that. I didn't even know you can get that on, on your radio. Okay. Well, there's no reason for me to share that with you. I just wanted to you to do that. And also I didn't prepare for today. And so, yes, Judge. You get Mcdonald's, no toy, okay, got the meal that is really that is a better department h p d you get a rotten corn dog wow okay I'm probably in trouble for sharing that stuff, but oh my goodness that's a different different lifestyle than what we normally live. Do you know uh? Determining who Jesus is is the most important thing. You have to be right about him because if you're not, you're probably going to be wrong about everything else. And that's the purpose for Luke's gospel, um, to answer the question, who is Jesus? Remember it began, oh, most excellent Theophilus, and he said, "Uh, I'm preparing to demonstrate to you an evidentiary basis I want you to know who this Jesus is. Well, not just Theophilus, but also all of Luke's readers down to this very day. So in Luke 7, that's where we are, are a series of episodes and the design of each. You have to know this, otherwise they may look like they're at random. They're not. The design for all of the episodes, three or four in chapter 7, are to answer this question, who is Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one expected to come? Is he the one prophesied by Old Testament prophets? Is he, in fact, the Savior? Or is he just a pretender to the throne, as many in that day and this day are? And so you're going to see a demonstration of the messiahship, if you will, of this Lord Jesus so that you can come to the right conclusion about who he is. So here's how it begins. Verse one. When he had completed all his discourse, he was teaching. Probably this is a reference to um, his speech on the Mount of Beatitudes. Do you remember? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. People came from far and wide. It was in. Uh, uh, the northern part of Israel, the Galilee, and probably after that discourse, uh, it says he went to Capernaum. Where was he born? Bethlehem. And, uh, and where was he raised? And, but, but he settled at Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum was a bigger place than Nazareth. Nazareth had about 130, Capernaum probably 1500. Make it a fairly large place in that day. But it wasn't just the size. It was strategically located. It was on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Fishing took place. It was a major industry, but also it was very near a major trade route. And so the Lord had access to roads and uh, system by which traveling could be facilitated, but also many different people groups. Capernaum is where he established the headquarters of his northern ministry, Galilee. So he went south to the Judean desert. That's where he was tempted. Then he finished up in Jerusalem. That's where he was crucified. And that's where he rose from death. But the bulk of his ministry was in the northern part of Israel in and around the Sea of Galilee. So that's where places like and Nazareth, and all these places you read about in the Bible, that's in Galilee. So he established his headquarters there. Some of his um, followers lived there as well. Has anyone here been to Capernaum? If anyone has been to Capernaum, can you raise your hand just for, look at lots of people. So those of you who have been there, what does it look like? What did you find when you went there? Oh, you forgot. Did someone say rocks? You are correct. (laughs) You find a bunch of rocks. Uh, It's in ruins. Why is it in ruins? Capernaum? Yeah, Charlie, you're right. The Lord pronounced the curse upon it and two other cities in the same area, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Why? Because they had so much reason. They were primarily Jewish areas. They had so much reason to believe, but they did not. And so he put a curse on the cities for their unbelief. And just to show you that he keeps his word, if you go there today, you're going to see rocks. <laughs> At Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum. Capernaum, Kfar Nahum. That's what it is in Hebrew. And it means village or place of Nahum, Nahum, but not the prophet Nahum. Some guy named Nahum, other than the prophet, we don't know who. But it's named after a guy named Nahum. So there he is. At Capernaum. And there, a centurion's slave. What's a centurion before we speak about the slave? What's a centurion? What do you think, Billy? He's the leader of a hundred soldiers. Exactly right. And Julio? Or six? Okay. That's... We can talk about that sometime. Tell me, what is his, uh, ethnic background? He's Roman, so, so Rome's in Italy, right? So he, last time I checked. So he's an Italian, he's a European, he's a male, he's a Gentile. You're getting this? So I just want you to get, now let me ask you a question. Uh, what are the Romans doing in this part of the world at this time? They're occupying it. So as a result, uh, what did the the indigenous people, what did the Jews think of the Romans? Yet they hated their guts. Okay, so I just want you to get the picture for now. Because one of the things you see in Luke's gospel is that he wants us to see Jesus as the Messiah of the marginal. So you're going to see women and men of different genders, different socioeconomic levels, different ethnicities, all in the Lord's embrace, because the gospel is not for any one people group. It's for anyone who will accept it. So you're going to see that Jesus is the Messiah. We can say of the marginal. So this was not a guy uh, to begin with who was well thought of. Well, uh, he had a slave who was highly regarded by him, and he was sick. The slave or servant uh, was about to die. And when he, the centurion, heard about Jesus... How did he hear about Jesus? How could he not? (laughs) Even before all the means of wonderful electronic communication that we possess today, I must tell you, he was unusual. Even his teaching. Remember when he taught, they said he's different. He teaches as one with authority. Remember that? He didn't have to quote anybody else. He didn't have to say, I read a good book written by Rabbi so-and-so. Let me tell you about it. He would say, I say to you. So he spoke with authority, which was inherently his. But not only that, it wasn't just that he declared things with inherent authority. He backed it up with a demonstration of power and authority. Good night. He was doing miraculous things all about the area. Everyone heard about him, and so too did this centurion. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders. These are synagogue officials, community leaders, in the area kind of big shots in the area he the gentile the italian the roman the hardcore soldier sent some jewish elders asking him th- this jewish rabbi this 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 messiah figure asked him jesus to come and save the life of his slave so tell me this why did the centurion ask the jewish elders to go and speak to jesus on behalf of his servant They were religious for sure, yeah, but why didn't he, well, what's the deal? Why did he use them as intermediaries? Yeah. Because he felt he would be rejected. rejected. You are correct. This is a humble man. He knows he doesn't belong there. He knows, generally speaking, the Jewish rabbi, this Jesus, is not going to have anything to do with him. He is a very humble man, as you will see. Quite a commendable character is demonstrated here in this episode, and so he said, I, I don't have a right to ask for the, for the rabbi's time, for this, for this rabbi Yeshua, he's really something. So he sent other Jews to go. It's very interesting. The, the Roman who seemed to have a, um, a growing understanding of who Jesus is sent Jewish religious leaders who had no understanding of who Jesus was. It's just a a whole irony here. Anyway, that's what he does. And when they came to Jesus, verse 4, they earnestly implored him, saying he's worthy. The centurion, they're saying. They're speaking on his behalf. They're saying the centurion is worthy for you to grant this to him for he loves our nation and it was he who built us our synagogue interesting in the biblical record though the romans were hated by the jews you will see a number of times when roman soldiers won the favor of the jews we're reading about one right here but also remember acts chapter 10 cornelius he was very well thought of in the jewish community you know what these two guys are they are examples of how love uh, provides a bridge that people can cross over even regardless of ethnic racial socio economic and gender differences. This is kind of a universal language. I love our motto to be living proof of a Yeah, loving God to a watching world, because before we get a chance to share our theology and truth, we sort of have to build a bridge into people's lives, and sometimes our societal differences have erected walls, and so love is a bridge by which we can cross over and win the opportunity to tell people truths that transform. Now, we don't ever want to just love people. We want to love them for the cause of Christ and ultimately get them to ask questions. Why are you like this? To me, And then we want to say, because we know the God of the Bible and we know he loves you and we know he loves you so much that he came actually to be a human so as to die on your behalf. So that's what this, this man was building a bridge. He showed favor to the nation who otherwise would have despised him, the Jews. And in fact, he put shoe leather on his uh, affinity for them by contributing to their synagogue. Oh, my goodness. Now, this is a Roman. It's not like he worshipped in the synagogue or anything like that. Roman religion was not Judaism by no means, but he was embracing the culture in which he found himself and he contributed to the synagogue. Now, this is interesting. If you go to Capernaum today, you can walk in a synagogue, the ruins of a synagogue built on the foundation of this very synagogue. So the foundation of this synagogue is uh, made out of a rock called basalt it's native to the area. It's dark, and on top of it, the uh, more modern synagogue, um, third fourth century, is made out of limestone. So you see the lighter colored limestone on top of the darker basalt. And it's, and you go there if you get a, a chance. You 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 think, oh my goodness, I'm standing right on the synagogue that this wonderful centurion contributed to, and more than that, in which the Lord taught and healed. Right there. It's not, in other words, this is not mythological stuff. This is real, this is historically verifiable stuff. So anyway, they say, uh, he loves our nation. He contributed to our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them. He's making his way, uh, to the centurion's place of abode. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent Friends, saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself further. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Wow. There's some unbelievably commendable qualities in this man's life, much more so than the lives of the Jewish religious leadership. It's an irony Luke wants us to see. This guy got some stuff going on. He seems to have affection for his servant. Um, He uh, won the favor of the community. And there's a measure of humility here that... uh, it far exceeds that of the Jewish religious leadership for sure. I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. By the way, I don't know if he was aware of the fact that if a Jewish rabbi in this day came into the home uh, of a Gentile person, that Jewish rabbi would incur ceremonial defilement and uh, would be unclean. <laughs> Did you know that? And it, wasn't, it, it was because the Gentiles ate different food that wasn't kosher. They ate unclean stuff. So if you, a Jew, went in where there was unclean stuff, non-kosher stuff, you would, by osmosis, become unclean. But you will see in Luke's Gospel and many places in the Bible, it appears that Rabbi Jesus cared more for people whom he came to redeem than he cared about all this Jewish religious tradition. He knows you don't get cooties by hanging out with people. you got plenty of cooties. You were born with them. Yeah, I don't need your cuties, c- cooties. I got my own. <laughs> so the Lord <laughs> Jesus knew. He, you know, the Lord Jesus knew. He said, I can transfer my righteousness. You can't transfer your unrighteousness. See, I can make you clean. You can't make me dirty. So anyway, he was on his way into the guy's house. He said, you don't have to do this. For, he says, for this reason, I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you, the centurion says, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Wow. He has a different view of healing than a lot of people do today. Because today, okay, here's where I get where I get off just a little bit. And uh right, maybe a lot bit. But just for a little while. All right, maybe for a while. Look, here's the deal. Does God heal today? Oh, of course he does. Come on. Um, but he always heals in a way that is consistent. <laughs> with what he has said in the Bible. He never does anything inconsistent with his word. That's what I'm saying. So the question is not, not does God heal today? The question is, is the healing today, is it biblical healing? Now, that's not for me to answer. That's for you to answer. Because today, in every day, there's such a fascination with with healing and, you know, stuff like that, physical healing. Um... If you read the Bible, just one thing, uh, no healer in the Bible ever announced it in advance. None of the apostles who healed, read the book of Acts, ever announced it in advance. They never sent like an email or telegram or something before they went to a village, said, hey, hey, show up at such and such place, you know, by two in the afternoon because we're showing up and we're going to be like tons of miracles. No, they never said anything like that. You know why? They didn't know. They didn't know. This was all the result of the power of God through human instrumentality for sure. But they didn't know about it. They had no idea. Second, the healing in the Bible did not depend on the faith of the one being healed. It just didn't. You'll see if we get to it. I don't know if we'll get to it, Brother Chuck. I'm on next week too, I think. Don't, don't fret yourself. You'll be in Rockport. I know. Just serve. It's okay, Brother. Don't, I'll carry the load. Enjoy the donuts. Anyway, uh, anyway, uh, you'll see the the widow of Nain who had a son who died who was raised from the dead. Where's the son? The son's dead, man. Where's where's his faith? Where's the mom's faith? She didn't ask the Lord for any ministry. She didn't. She didn't send for him. He came. You know why he healed? Because he's compassionate, and he's and he can. It's always about His power, and I'm not minimizing healing. I'm just saying, just don't, but don't get it wrong. Because today, you go to these healing services. I mean, they're usually advertised, you know what I mean? And you go to the healing services, and I hope you're fortunate enough to be like first online, so that the healer can, can minister healing to you. Lay His hands on you, anoint you, I don't know what. Pray a magical prayer. I got you, Charlie. But let me finish here. Uh, uh, you, you know, pray, pray a prayer, whatever the deal is. Because if you're at the end of the line, you know, when the service ends, I'm afraid you're going to have to just go off with your affliction. Maybe you can. Maybe when the healer's back in town next year, you can possibly get healed. But that's not biblical healing at all. For crying out. But then, the, but then, let's say you get up in line and the healer does this thing, and but you're not healed. Uh, if you emailed him. And he emailed back, he would say, it's because you don't have enough faith. See, but that's not biblical healing. It's not contingent on the faith of the one healed. It's contingent on the God who heals. So those are just two parameters right? to show you, don't talk to me about whether God heals. Let me talk to you about whether the healing you're talking about is the way God heals. It's just entirely different. Secondly, uh, God's healing is not dependent on any instrumentality like prayer cloths. Are you kidding me? Uh, or an, or or any special oil or or anything like you know I, I I one lady told me hey Stuart when you go come back from Israel can you bring me some oil from the Holy Land that I can use in my healing ministry to anoint people with it? man I can get you some WD forty from Walmart <laughs> uh, I just do the same thing there is no it's not the instrument don't you see it's there's nothing that, it doesn't And it had nothing to do with touch. I didn't say we shouldn't touch. I didn't say we shouldn't lay hands on one another and pray. We do so here. Don't misunderstand. I'm just saying God's ministrations are not dependent on any of those things. He's God. He's a great physician. He heals as he chooses to. He can use people and does. I understand that, but he's not limited to people or things. Here, the centurion understood healing. He said, you don't even have to bother yourself. I'm not worthy of you to come under my roof. You can from a distance speak the word. In my ser- If you chose to, my servant would be healed. Don't you see the power is in God's word? So just be careful today about the, you know, you have these churches, you know, when people say miracles happen here all the time. I know what people mean. They mean, well, they mean God is good and God blesses. But be careful, a miracle, be careful, a miracle by definition is an exception to the rule. See, that's what makes it so outstanding and so sensational. Wow, that's a miracle. That doesn't ordinarily happen. That doesn't commonly happen. You know, a miracle technically is a suspension of a natural law. Did you know that? A miracle is a reversal of a natural law. So here's a natural law. You're born, you live, you die. That's nature. Here's a suspension of it. You live again. You're resuscitated or resurrected from death, as with the widow's son. We'll read about perhaps today, I don't know, maybe next week. That's a miracle. Look at, look at, someone's blind, congenital blindness, and the Lord fixes up some stuff, mud, some spittle, pronounces healing upon that person, and, you know, or, once I was blind, now I see, that's a miracle. That's a suspension of a natural law. Don't confuse God's intervention, in a general sense, with His miracles. He intervenes all the time, that's the only way the world is sustained. Look, let me give you a name. Yesterday I went with my wife to the King Tut exhibit at the Museum of Fine Arts. It was kind of a cool deal. And, uh, and I've been to the Museum of Fine Arts a bazillion times, but I, I knew when we set out, I don't remember how to get there. Because I could have just been there yesterday, the day before, and I just don't remember. It's just, my brain cells are, they just don't work. I can't get anywhere the way you're supposed to get there. Just, it's just not gonna work. But I didn't want to ask my wife. (laughs) Okay, let me just tell you this. What What is said here stays here. Is this? Do we understand each But anyway, I didn't want to ask her because she would tell me. And I, and she would be right. And I just didn't want anything to do with that. So I remember praying, God, I got like a vague idea, but it would be really cool if you'd help me get there. I think he did. We get there. And not only did I get there, I get a spot. You know, this is like this Presbyterian church across... From the uh, Museum of Fine Arts, you know, you know what I mean. And it's a crowded. It's a Saturday. Everyone wants to see see the King Touch stuff. Man, there's a spot. I'm doing it, and I'm walking with my wife. We're going into the museum, and I'm saying to the Lord, God, thank you. Now look at that. Was not a miracle. <laughs> that was not a suspension of a natural law. Look at here to get from Pearland to. <laughs> To downtown, it's not a suspension of natural. You know, people build roads and all the, you know, there's cars, there's gas, there's fuel. You press on. It all has to do with science and technology and the rest. It's not a miracle, but it still, in my opinion, was a divine supply of my need. So I'm not minimizing God's activity in daily activities. Don't misunderstand. But don't call every glimpse of God's intervention a miracle. Otherwise, you minimize what a miracle the forcefulness of a miracle is. He just... But God doesn't typically do miracles. Why? Because all the miracles in the Bible have a point to it. There's always a point to it. Remember, Luke is trying to help us figure out that Jesus is who He said He is. How are you going to know that by what He did? So He does things so that we know who He is. You see, He does. He just doesn't do things for the sake of doing them. So, okay, this guy has the right point of view of healing. Charlie, you've been patient. Thank you, brother. Yeah. And um he had a guy in his entourage that was sick. Yeah. That he could not heal with hands on healing. Yeah, yeah. And had to leave him at Trophila sick. Good point. And so we know that Paul had even lost that hands on healing power for the third missionary journey. Listen, Brother Charles surprisingly brings up a good point. <laughs> um um in the book of Acts, God healed um, through different ones. Um, uh, the, the gift of healing that Charlie is speaking of. Um, so now I'll get. I'll go out on the line. Uh, I do not believe the gift of healing exists today. I didn't say God doesn't heal today. Don't misunderstand. I just said I don't believe the gift of healing exists the gift of healing was put into the lives of a select few for a very limited time in biblical history in order to call attention to the fact that the Lord Jesus, who now is resurrected and ascended, has delegated his authority to his apostles and his prophets on earth to write scripture which we now hold to be fundamental, foundational truths. I didn't say God doesn't heal today. I just said I don't believe the gift of healing resides in a particular person such that you have to go to that particular person for your healing. Here's another thing you can do. You can say, oh, God, as you see fit, would you please heal me? You could do that. Did you know that? Now, of course, you say people today, no, 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 you got it all wrong. You have to find someone who enters into agreement with you about your healing. So let me just take off on that a little bit. You know that you hear that. This kind of we have certain Christian vocabulary. I'm agreeing with you, brother, for that prayer. I'm agree- you know, and that's all you know, for a guy who doesn't come from a Christian background, a Jewish guy. I find that vocabulary uh, to be really interesting, and I hunted down where it comes from. It's Matthew 18, where it says, "If two or three agree about anything." Um, you know, it'll be done for you, you know, that kind of deal. It's Matthew 18. So I decided to read the whole chapter. And by the way, I suggest you do the same thing. That's where that agreement concept comes from. You'd be surprised to hear this is the context. It has to do with discipline in the local church. You know what God on high is saying? He's saying, I have delegated you, the leaders of a local church, with authority to apply church discipline with regard to an unruly member as you see fit. And if two or three of you get together and agree on how to apply the church discipline, it's going to be done. It's the invisible, unseen God saying, I give you my authority on earth to lead the church and deal with an unruly church member if you need to. You're going to be hesitant because you're going to have a lot of trouble from folks when you do so. But I'm telling you, if a few of you get together, you leaders, don't let one person do it because you could be wrong. If two or three of you take counsel with one another and say, this is the action we need to take. If you agree on the course of action with regard to church discipline, I want you to know it will be done. That's the context. Today it's used in this sense. If you want to be healed, if you want to get a job, you find someone to agree with you about it. Do you know what that's called? Sorcery. Are you kidding me? you'll find us two three people and you'll do some hocus pocus strength and numbers thing and you'll gang up on almighty god and he'll be obligated cuz you followed the formula he'll be obligated to give you what the three of you agreed on are you kidding me does that make sense to you did you hear it all the time all you got to do is watch tbn constant entering into agreement entering you, you want to know something When I need something, when I have a need, and you do, I can say, oh, God, thanks for listening. You don't owe me anything. You've given me plenty. But you're necessary for me to live on. In order for me to be sustained, I sure could use whatever it is. And then you say, no, God, you know, I don't even know if I'm asking amiss. I'm doing the best I can. I'm just a kid. You're my heavenly Father. I can take no for an answer. I'd prefer yes, but I can take no for an answer. But here's the bottom line. If you don't provide for me and sustain me, it's over for me. And I know you will. How do I know that? How could it be that you would have given me your best, your own son, and not give me all the rest that I need in order to be sustained? So let me thank you in advance for taking care of me. It may not be in the fashion in which I would like or even think of, But you have at your disposal resources I know not of. By the way, Lord, now that I've asked you to take care of me, could I thank you in advance for taking care of me? It's just the way you are. That's what it is to be a son or a daughter. Thanks for being the perfect dad. Amen. I don't need you to gang up on my father. Hey, can you agree with me that I get my, you know, whatever, this, that? What kind of a God do you serve? That's religious hocus pocus. Be careful of that stuff. Be careful. It's astounding to me how many Christian behaviors and phraseologies are just accepted, but they have no biblical mooring point like that one. I agree with you. And it's like this whole principle of entering into agreement. It has become an occultic... uh, um, Thanks so much for that good word. And I want... You have well said. And I want you to just listen to me. You just, whenever the spirit moves, you just just shout it out. Thank you for the near heart attack. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That is good. Just whatever comes up, just shout it out. Shout it out. Really good. So now can you turn to the passage where it talks about uh, women not being allowed to speak in church? Let's. Can we just, it's in there. Can you agree with me about that? Yeah, now we know what. Okay, okay, okay. So this is marvelous to me. You can heal just in the power of your word. For I, verse 8, I'm under authority. Uh, There are soldiers under me. I say this one, go, and he goes. Another come, and he comes. To my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Two times it says that in the Bible. Jesus marveled. Here's one. He marveled at the faith of a Gentile man. You know the second episode? He marveled at the lack of faith of certain Jewish people to whom he was speaking to. Two times. <coughs> Isn't that interesting? He marveled at the faith of a Gentile. He marveled at the lack of faith of a Jew. Mm, mm, mm. Terrible. Jewish people entrusted with so much privilege squandering it a Gentile man with no such background in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, a pagan religion, you know what I mean, the whole deal? He sees who Jesus is. He's coming to Jesus. And the Lord Jesus says, I marvel at such faith. You know the power to heal, the authority to do so resides in me. He says, uh, uh, and so when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. He turned and he said to the crowd, by the way, a primarily Jewish crowd. He said he said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. Remember, I told you, Luke, the physician, uh, Gentile physician is wanting to see the expan us to see the expansiveness of the gospel. It's a very Jewish thing at the core. There's no question about it. It's all couched in Jewish culture traditions, the Messiah himself being Jewish, but it's not supposed to stop there. (laughs) Jews are supposed to be the conduit of the good news. We have failed. The ultimate, the ultimate Jew, the Lord Jesus, has not failed in being the conduit of good news, but it's supposed to start with Jews, but spread to the whole world. You know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the Of the world. That's supposed to be, to be what's happening. And Luke wants us to see it already. See how it's beginning? He wrote Acts also, you know, this author. He wants us to, to see beforehand. Can you, and by the way, the Lord in settling in Capernaum, there were lots of Gentiles there. (laughs) That's one of the reasons I think he also, it was a mixed ethnic, uh, kind of an area, and he came to be the savior of the world. He has no favorites. You're his favorite. I'm his favorite. You have his favor. I have his favor in undiminished quantity. Why? He has affixed his favor upon us. That's just the way it is. So anyway, he says, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had uh, been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Don't know his name. Don't know what his response was. Don't know nothing. (laughs) Don't know why the Lord healed, chose to heal this slave and not everybody else. Don't know why. But I do conclude this. I don't like this, and you won't either. He did not come to be the savior uh, from physical uh, infirmity and disease. Here's another thing you won't like. He did not come to be the political savior. He, you know what? He, he did not come to see to the more equitable distribution of the world's wealth. He did not come to uh, challenge capitalism as our uh, fellow citizens are doing here in Wall Street and all the rest. He didn't do any of that stuff. Can I tell you something that'll really freak you out? I noticed he didn't even challenge the institution of slavery. That guy apparently owned a slave, that Roman guy, right? He didn't do any of that. Why? Later on in Luke, you're going to see John sends messengers. John the Baptist sends messengers and says, ask him, are you the one we're looking to? Are you the one who is expected to come or shall we look for another? Why in the world would John the Baptist ask a question like that? I'll tell you Why? <clears throat> Jesus didn't look much like the Messiah he expected to come. The Romans are still there. Look at here. The Messiah is someone who's going to come to set the captives free. But John's in jail, rotting away, awaiting his execution. So he's saying, "Ah, Jesus, you know, with all due respect, you're not looking much like the Savior we're expecting. That's right. He's not the Savior most of us are looking to. He's not the savior from political oppression, from economic oppression, from societal injustice. You know what he's a savior of? Sin. Does that mean he supports all the us, the other things? Social injustice, slavery? All, I didn't say that. But, but 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 he knows that's not the problem. He knows that's the symptom of the problem. You know what the problem is? It's not the institutions of society. It's me. He came to solve my big problem, my sin. And you know what happens? When a soul is converted, that person's perspective, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, begins to change. It begins to change about race. It begins to change about gender. It begins to change about how you use your money. You begin to see giving is a blessing. Don't hoard it for yourself. I don't need Wall Street occupiers to tell me about the needs of the poor. I don't need to do that. I've been poor in spirit, and the Lord Jesus has made me rich. He's made me steward of what he's given me. It's a joy to give. We know about the equitable distribution of wealth. If your brother is in need give this is a biblical principles i don't need some crazy knucklehead on the cell phone in wall street telling me how to handle all right never mind but here's the deal john was a little disappointed and i think some of us are a little disappointed as well Uh, you've got to understand this this side of heaven there's all kinds of corruption injustice and unrighteousness the lord jesus did not come to renovate society he came to redeem its members But there will be a day when he sits on the throne, establishes his kingdom on earth, when there will be social justice, when there will be the resolution of all kinds of inequities, when that which is crooked is straightened out. But it's not going to happen until then. He did not come to change the structure of society. He came to change the nature of the relationship between the members of society and him. And that's what makes the difference in life. In the last class, a man sat right over there and he said, I was born and raised to hate a certain people group. That's what he said, part of our culture. He said, and then I got radically saved. There was no legislation from the outside that changed my heart. It was the lover of my soul from the inside who changed my heart. I repented of my sin. I saw God as no respecter of persons. And I saw uh, that my fellowship is with all people who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my family. There isn't a hierarchy in that family. Everyone is of worth in that. Total change. It wasn't legislation from the outside. I'm in favor of that, but I'm just trying to tell you. The Lord didn't come to change the legal system because that's just a bar of soap. You know, clean you up on the inside. On the outside, you got a problem on the inside. You know what he did? He came to deal with our greatest problem by paying the greatest cost in order to give us the greatest benefit. It's not a new political system. It's not a new economic system. It's not correcting all social injustice. It's the sin problem. You want to know what's interesting? We'll close with this. Almost every beneficial movement to humankind has been pioneered by Christians. <laughs> interesting. Uh, Industrial revolution in England. Children would work in sweatshops. This is appalling to us, but they didn't have child labor laws. The kids would work all day long in sweatshops until someone named Wilbur Wilberforce, an evangelical, radically saved Christian, said, wrong, their children started a whole movement from which has emanated child labor laws. Now, it's unthinkable for us, uh, most of our societies, to subject children to that. So, it, so you know what God is saying. He doesn't. He doesn't write in the Bible. You know these the, 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 attacks. If you change the heart of a Wilbur Wilberforce, then the, 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 then he might spearhead a movement uh to be salt and light in, in society. See, there's a big difference. So the Lord works from the inside out. Movements from the outside only, and they can't get to the to the heart of the problem. So, so, so he healed this particular unnamed slave. You might say, why not heal everybody? Because he didn't come to be that kind of healer. He came to heal in exceptional ways to authenticate the fact that he came, that he has the authority to heal our broken relationship with Almighty God. And we have already seen that in Luke. You know, which is easier to say? Get up and walk? Remember the guy? Uh, Friends let him down through the roof and everything. Which is easy to say, get up and walk or your sins are forgiven. But that you may know, the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. I say, get up and walk. That's the purpose of the miracle. It's an attesting sign. It attests to his authority to affect the number one healing issue we have. We are alienated from the creator of life. That's not good. He can affect healing in that relationship. How am I supposed to believe you? Look, I healed this guy in the power of my word physically. I can heal spiritually. That's kind of that's why he doesn't heal everyone physically. That's not the big deal. You know, could I? I keep saying this. I'm not a hard-hearted guy. But folks, the worst that can happen if you get sick or get a disease and you're a Christian is you go home, right? I mean, don't misunderstand. Let's elongate our days as long as we could. Don't misunderstand. I'm not a hard-hearted guy. But hey, hey, hey. Don't fight going to heaven so much. You know what I'm talking about? I don't understand. I got some oil I brought back from the Holy Land. (laughs) I'll pour it on you. There's a guy on TV. Not there's many of them. You need, if you sow, sow seed, financial, where do you get into my ministry? It'll accentuate your faith, produce healing faith. Pay me for servants, services rendered. What kind of a God do you serve? What kind of a God? Abba. Daddy, Papa, you don't have to deserve a thing. He's your dad. He's going to meet your needs just on that basis. I don't need some guy telling me to sow seed. I'll sow seed. (laughs) Crazy. Sow seed. I have the gift of obnoxiousness. (laughs) Spiritual gift. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. Common denominator, wow, you love us. Uh, And for God so loved that he gave you, his only begotten son, that none, not Jews, not Gentiles, not anybody, should perish, but have everlasting life, contingent on our acceptance of your provision for sin. Thank you for the wonderful reality of new bodies fit for eternity, new societal structures in which you rule and reign from the throne, a day when lion lies down with lamb, and reversal of things in the natural order, all the corruption, not yet, but then. But what is the present reality is peace with the Father through you though there has been hitherto alienation. Thank you for solving our biggest problem, sin. Thank you for removing its penalty. Uh, thank you for um, limiting its power by adding your spirit into our lives. <clears throat> thank you for one day the hope that you will remove its very presence, and then all societal, environmental, economic, political corruption will be removed. We look forward to that day, until that day, Help us to be salt and light and to embrace diverse people groups just as this marvelous Roman centurion did. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you folks. See you next time. We'll pick up at verse 11, maybe.